This week's reading for the fourth Sunday after Pentecost comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 11 and 16 through 20. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone there is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter into a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Whoever listens to you listens to me. And whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. And he said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits submit to you, but... Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The gospel of the Lord. May the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. Imagine for a moment that you met someone new. And you were sitting down with them and you had a little time. And so you're sharing your life stories. You're just trying to get to know one another. And imagine that the person you met broke it down kind of like this. Well, you know, when I grew up, things just came to me really, really easy. Like, I went all the way through school, and things were super simple. I never had to crack a book. Grades were just simple. I never missed a point. Everything was spectacular. I was always super popular. I don't even know why. It's not like I had to try real hard. Never had any awkwardness. It was always so easy. And you know what? Everything, my hair was always spectacular. I never even had a single pimple. It was great sports. I did all the sports too, and they were so easy. I just had natural ability. I never really had to practice that hard. I just was always really, really good. And because my grades were so good and my sportsing was always so great, I got I got uh, recruited by the top schools, the absolute top schools, and they gave me a full-ride scholarship. I never had to pay for anything, and they set me up with a great place to live, and all of my books were covered, and all of my food was covered, and all of my activities were covered, and all of my tuition was covered. It was great. And you know what? I thought maybe I'd have to work a little bit harder in college, but I didn't. I didn't have to work hard at all, and grades still happened real super easy, and so I was on the dean's list the whole way through, and I had top scores, and because of all that, I got recruited recruited by the top engineering firm in the country. It was so great. They set me up with a super huge salary, and I got bonuses all the time. And you know what? I rose up through the ranks and got promotion after promotion after promotion, and to the point where I was the youngest CEO, not only in the history of that company, but in the history of the entire industry. My life was just so simple. If you were listening to that, wouldn't that be really boring? And like, 
probably kind of arrogant to think, like, this guy has had no trouble whatsoever. That's a really boring story that I don't think anyone would want to hear. Because let's think about it. When we're hearing a story, whether it's a person's life story and whether it's real or whether it's a story that we're reading or, or like a movie or a TV show that we're watching, a compelling story has some adversity in it, doesn't it? Things don't always just come easy and without any effort. Compelling stories have adversity and they have conflict. And I've heard it said that there's really only four basic types of conflicts that happen within any story. We have the idea of, of the main person, uh, so man versus man, like it's one person versus another person, or the, 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 the adversity that they're facing is from another person or group of people. Or we have another one that's man versus nature, that whatever troubles are happening, it's because of the world that's around them. And I've also heard that one mixed in with man versus society, like it's the society that surrounds the main person that is causing all the conflict. Another one is man versus self, like it's self-generated. Maybe it's doubt or maybe it's, it's an issue within a person's body that they're fighting against and, and, it's, and that they are the basis for the conflict. That's another one. Then the last one is man versus the supernatural or I've also heard it man versus God, like whatever adversity the character is facing, the person is facing, it's almost, it's, it's, it's beyond natural. It's supernatural in origin whether we want to call that God or not. Conflict Adversity is what makes things compelling. And you know what? I think this same sort of thing also applies when we are looking at the scriptures and specifically ministry. When people are called to join in whatever it is that God is up to. Sometimes we hear that people seem to have a really easy uh, easy time of it, but their stories, when we have them in the scriptures, and they are in there, they're always really brief and there's not really a whole lot going on. But it's the ones where adversity happens and they acknowledge it that we actually find something compelling. And I can think of two really concrete examples, both of them prophets from the Old Testament. Now, the first one perhaps you've heard of, it's a guy named Jonah. Jonah is synonymous with getting swallowed by a whale. And I wonder if you know why. God calls Jonah to go into this city, this sinful city, and proclaim, hey, God's judgment is gonna come upon you unless you repent. And he's like, I don't want to do that. So he jumps on a ship and he goes the opposite direction and this great big storm comes and he ends up getting thrown overboard and then a whale comes up and swallows him and it's in the belly of the whale for like three days and he prays to God like, oh, I have sinned. Um, if you see fit to save me, that would be spectacular and I'll do what you want. And so the whale spits him out on the land and he goes in there and he, and he does the ministry and he says, God's wrath will be upon you unless you repent and then they repent and everything turns away and he says, watch this, God. This is what's going to happen. They're going to repent and they do and he gets really mad about it which is so weird, he wishes he was dead. Lovely, right? It's a weird story, but it's compelling. There's another one, another prophet. He goes by the name of Elijah. And he was active during the time when, when Israel was divided into two different kingdoms. We had the kingdom of Israel, and we had the kingdom of, of Judah, and it was kind of a separated thing. But he was also a prophet. He was very active, and he, he was always in opposition with the king and the queen at that time and, and the powers that be. And there was one point when he'd been working hard and working hard, and, and there was a lot of opposition against him. And he got to the point where he was so like fed up with everything that he cries out to God. He says, God, this is terrible. I don't know what I'm still doing this for. No one is loyal to you. No one follows you. I'm the only person left that's doing this. It's all bad. Everything is terrible. I wish I was dead. And God's like, you sound angry and tired. Why don't you eat something and take a nap? 
And so Elijah does that. And then when he wakes up, God says, why don't you eat something else and take another nap? And then God says, okay, now get back to work. Again, it's a little kooky, but it's compelling and it's interesting. And I wonder if the same type of situation might just be present in what we have today. Now, where we pick up today, Jesus, in the midst of his ministry, gathers the small group of people. We hear it's about 70 people. He gathers them together, and he's giving them a mission. He is sending them out in pairs. He he partners them up with one other person, and he sends them out into the villages and the cities and the communities where he was going to go, essentially to prepare his way. And he says, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. I don't want you to take any supplies. I want you to not get distracted on the road. Just go into these communities. And when you go into the community, the first thing I want you to do is say peace to you. And if there is a person of peace, that peace will will return to you. And uh, experience their hospitality. Eat whatever they give you. Drink whatever they give you. But regardless of what happens, proclaim this. The kingdom of heaven has come near to you. The kingdom of God has come near to you. But then he also says, but if you go and you offer peace and the peace does not return to you and the the people in that community will not receive you, just go out into the street, wipe the dust off your sandals, announce that you are doing that and say, but know this, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Go out and do it. And he sends them on their way. Now we have a little break in the story. There's about four or five verses that that we skip over. And interestingly enough, in that little passage, that little portion of the passage, Jesus is lamenting over a few communities that don't seem to uh, receive him very well. But then we hear that they come back. Now, we don't know how long these 70 disciples, these 70 followers of Jesus are out doing their thing. We don't know how long they've been gone proclaiming the message that the kingdom of God has come near, empowered in order to overcome diseases and overcome uh, evil spirits, which is another thing that we hear about. But when they come back, all they can do is rave about their successes. Lord, even the demons submitted to us. Everything was glorious, and they are riding high. But Jesus says, do not rejoice because of this. You think, that's cool. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. But rejoice because your names are written in the book of life. At first glance, it seems like these 70 disciples, these 70 followers of Christ have gone off and had nothing but success. Everything went spectacular. But I find myself wondering, is that really the case? And if we consider what we hear in this story, we figure that's probably not how it went. If everything was going to go hunky-dory, would Jesus have told them what to do in the case of being rejected? If everything was going to go great, Jesus would have known that. So why would he have said that? Why would he have said that if you go out and they do not receive you, wipe the dust off your sandals, which is, by the way, the equivalent of saying, I'm washing my hands of you. Why would he say that but tell them the kingdom of God has come near? Maybe in this we are reminded that regardless of how the message is received, regardless of how, quote-unquote, successful the mission or the ministry or the work might appear, the message does not change. The kingdom of God has come near. And why? Because Jesus has somehow brought it into the world. For those of us 
who call ourselves followers of Christ, for those of us who have been brought into the body of Christ through the gathering power of the Holy Spirit, this thing we call the church, this thing we call the body of Christ, those of us who are the hands and feet of God in the world in this day, now empowered by the Holy Spirit, we need to remember this. The ministry is not always going to be easy. The ministry is not always going to be smooth and successful. There is going to be opposition. There is going to be adversity. There are going to be times when it feels like we are slamming our head against the wall, but the message is the same. The kingdom of God has come near. Now, in the midst of these times, when it doesn't seem like everything is going smoothly, when it feels like the world is up against us and smacking us around, we need to remember the hope that is found in our faith. The hope that we have that is revealed by Jesus. Rejoice, for your name is written in the book of life. You are claimed by God. That's what that means. Your name is written in the book of life means no matter what this world throws at you, no matter what happens, the world doesn't get the last word in your story. God does. And this is the gospel. The good news that the kingdom of God has come near because Jesus has brought it and Jesus has somehow, in ways that I do not understand, claimed you and written your name in the book of life. Now, Jesus does make this oddball little strange thing when he's talking about the opposition that they will face. If anyone rejects you, they reject me, and anyone who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. And that seems a little bit dire, but folks, let's think about it. Aren't we all guilty of rejecting Jesus and rejecting God at one point or another, probably every single day? When we are honest with ourselves, we realize that yes, because every single one of us are selfish creatures who will put our own interests above that of others or above that of God at any given time. But thanks be to God that the claim of God through Jesus overcomes our shortcomings. The kingdom of God has come near. And your name is written in the book of life, which overcomes every bit of adversity you will ever face, even that which is generated within you. This is where we rejoice. This is where we find our hope as we gather together in the ministry of reconciling this world back to God. That is what we are called into, just like the 70 that Jesus sent out, just like those other two guys that I talked about. The adversity is real, and it's not always going to be hunky-dory, but... Hold on to that hope in believing the promises that Jesus has made to you.